Welcome to Crime on Primetime. I'm your host, Kinsey Huseman, and I'm here with my two best friends. <clears throat> Hello, y'all. It's A-Rod. And Malik. A-Rod, need to lay out the cigarettes. Hey, man. It's been a rough week. Okay, go ahead and talk about... I know y'all are so excited and you just had the best weekend ever. Go ahead and talk about it. Texas fight! Texas fight! Yep. I can't be saying what I was saying last night about them Bama fans because it's inappropriate. Yeah, I can't. It's yep. not. It's not appropriate for this pot. I get canceled. Yep. Yep. I. All right. I had a little bruise in my system, so I couldn't really. I, so, but yeah, it was a great night. Great night. Yeah. Just no f them dudes in crimson. Yeah. They didn't look good. Nah. Like they, they didn't they look good. like Bama. They look like Bama. Our, we just look better. No, 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 you've got to admit that Bama was not playing at the caliber that they usually do. But you cannot Their say Texas did not, did not look, look good. good. You, you cannot say Texas didn't look good. Y'all looked fine. Our defense I, was crazy. But I also think that Alabama's offense was not as good as it usually is. is. That's because we were everywhere. Fan. I'm pretty sure also, Auburn lost last night. So. No, Auburn won last night, okay? We won. Barely. Do you know what? It's a win and it's a win, okay? So. Okay, you ready to get in this question? Oh, yeah, sure. No, yeah, I forgot about the question. <laughs> so, the, what the, heck? the question is... What is y'all's best dish to cook? Or the dish that you're best at? Great, great, great question. My go-to, my go-to, my comfort food for dinner is Swedish meatballs. It's easy. It's great. It makes a lot of food. It's very comforting. I love it. Did you make us Swedish meatballs when we were there? Probably. I do when people come because it makes a lot and it's easy to make. So when people come to visit, I tend to make Swedish meatballs because you can just do it really fast. I, I, don't elaborate I just remember that soup she made. Ooh, that was good. That was a good y'all soup. Sh- y'all need to talk to Taylor because when Taylor came, well, you need to talk to Dalton. When Taylor came and her and her boyfriend came over for dinner, Dalton made homemade pasta and this like crispy chicken think it was really good but other than that i also make really good cakes cupcakes and blondies i make really good blondies i don't even know what a blondie is like blonde people no it's like a brownie but like vanilla and you can make different flavors and stuff never heard of it sure <laughs> Yeah, sure, sure anyway, it's great. Make really good blondies. It is good. It is really good. Hey, what? hey, Rock, what do you make? Well, I can't cook. I I still <laughs> cook like I'm a broke college kid. I still make the same stuff every week. And usually, I try to like ex- like expand out and like try new stuff, but. I just get lazy, and I never buy the right ingredients, so I just go back to what I know. So I guess it would just have to be that taco skillet. 
Yeah, tell him, tell him who put you onto the skillet. Yeah, tell. What's the taco skillet? Explain it so to basically, us. Basically, <clears throat> so usually it lasts for like a couple of days, just depending how much you eat. But you get about three pounds of uh, ground beef, cook it a little bit, uh, taco seasoning, three packets, low sodium. Oh, you can go the hot one. And then after that, you put some vegetables in there. I've done like multiple different things. Like I've put like broccoli, peas and carrots, like just a bunch of stuff. I put jalapenos in there too. And your taco skillet, why not like bell peppers, onion, like vegetables yeah. you traditionally hey, see with Mexican food? Is this food? your food? Is it your time? Is my turn to talk? I'm just saying. All right. It's my turn to talk. You had your time. All right, Blondie, whatever you make. All right. And then usually I get some white rice and I put the, the meat on top of the white rice with some ranch. So this has essentially putting the taco seasoning in the meat. It has nothing to do with a taco. Well, you want to know how I make it? <laughs> like a taco in a bowl? No. Yeah, I make it pretty much. Bowl. I mean, Mine yeah. I mean, yes, but you're not putting you. Besides having the taco meat, everything else you listed. I just think it's, it's not crazy. Taco. I did not criticize any of her food. Because right? I make amazing food. And the one time when I say the one thing I cook, she she just bashes it, man. I'm not bashing. I'm, no, I'm sure no, it's no, good. No, no, I just no, want to no, point no, out no. that you're calling it taco skillet, but it. There, there's nothing really taco about it. I think I, th- right. I just think it's crazy. So go ahead, Malik. The go last ahead. time, the last time I made it, because I was gonna say taco skill, or I was gonna say, I, I make a mean steak. I, I personally think so, but um, same thing, you know, the ground beef, then the taco seasoning, and then you got put cheese, the bell yes. peppers, like you said, jalapenos. And then I cover the rest of it with cheese again, whatever kind of cheese you want. I like the Mexican blend. And then I go over the top with, like, guacamole and then guacamole sauce and then a little bit of ranch. Okay, see, Aero, that's a taco skillet. You decide. Maybe I don't like. Maybe I don't like half of that stuff, Kins. You ever think okay, of that? Okay, that's huh? fine. Then change the name. Change huh? the name of the dish. We you gotta change, change it to. I don't. Ameri- taco skillet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> change it to half-ass taco skillet. I don't know American skillet. It's just not a taco. It's just crazy, man. <laughs> I, I thought this was a safe area, a safe environment. It comes out of nowhere. Just like bashing on the one thing I could cook. It's not that I'm sure it's great. I'm bashing no, on what no, you're no, calling no, it. You're cause what because what you're calling it is not what you're making. Oh, it's, it's too late, kids. That's like the saying I make I've this mac and cut. cheese, but I use rice instead of noodles, and instead of cheese, I fry it. But it's <laughs> mac and cheese. It's, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. I will say one thing about the taco skillet. It does get pretty greasy. So you can, but you can empty out the grease as much as you want. Yeah, I empty out the grease. Yeah, I empty out the grease. Not using that 93.7 beef? No. No, it doesn't. It doesn't I, taste I, as good warmed up. I've used all the it different beefs. As good warmed up. It, it comes out greasy no matter what. Just because of how long it kind of gotcha. sits in there. Unless you drain the grease right before you put all the stuff on it. Yeah, sure. I think it's time to All go right. on to the episode, Kins. I was ready, waiting for one of your infamous segues. 
y'all didn't y'all didn't give me any like any good one waiting okay yeah. sorry <laughs> i guess that's our fault yeah we'll work on setting you up better yeah, usually you just cut me off mid-sentence so i didn't know well, i needed to you, set you up you know usually like lebron can't really dunk it sometimes if Dwayne Wade doesn't set a lob so but usually you just steal the usually you just steal the ball for me and dunk it anyways (laughs) you don't wait for my lob you hold that ball too long (laughs) (laughs) okay we watch Hawaii 5 season 10 episode 13 what did y'all think it, just, oh, like, it makes me think ahead. I want to go to Hawaii, man. Yeah, I agree with that. I actually watched this episode with my mom. Um, randomly. I think I was back from Alabama one time visiting. And she was like, I'm going to watch this Hawaii Five-O episode. And I was like, I haven't seen this show in a few seasons. And I was like, sure, I'll watch it with you. And it was this episode. I was like, what a coincidence. This is like one of the ones I've actually seen since like the first four or five seasons <laughs> yeah but either way I just want to go whole, that beginning of the episode man golfing in Hawaii I that that seems like a dream so I okay because I have been to Hawaii and when I was there there was like all the golf courses and stuff by the resorts and all I could think about was do the people bring their golf clubs on the plane? Yeah. They check or them do in. You they r- check or them. do you rent them? You can like, do both, but most of them probably bring Yeah. Because it just seems like such a hassle to bring your golf well, clubs. So it just, I guess it really just depends on like which one you go to. Because there might be some fancy ones when they're like, no, you got to bring your own and all that. And there are travel bags for golf, like golf uh, clubs. But it just seems like a hassle and an extra expense and this and that. But hey, if you're I going mean, to Hawaii and you got the, got the money, then and if you plan on golfing, then you're probably rich anyways. If you're going to Hawaii and you're planning on golfing, you probably got the money to bring your clubs in a travel bag. Yeah, money money's not an like an issue. Yeah, because I imagine a course or playing eighteen in Hawaii is upwards of two hundred bucks. I wonder. It has to be expensive, right? Yeah, because the one in Austin is a really nice one, and it's a hundred bucks around. It honestly wants price to upwards of five hundred. Dang, fancy! And that's not with the cart. That's just walking the course. Wow. So, our episode of Hawaii Five O. We bring this up because it opens with Captain Grover at some ritzy golf course that his wife won him in an auction. Comes with a caddy. That's how fancy it is. He has his own caddy. That is he was cracking me up. He's funny. Captain Grover. He, he is funny. Oh, yeah. And he's only at this rifty, ritzy golf course. Because I'm sure it's an expensive golf course, you know. Oh, yeah, they had jackets. We know it is. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. we'll get into how ritzy it is. So it has to be an expensive cough course because he's been on this wait list for what they say, like eight years. Mm-hmm. 
and his wife won him around at it in an auction, which, like, what a good wife, because I'm sure there were, like, better wifey things, like wine or stuff that she could have won. She won it for him. And wouldn't you know it, a member was found dead in a cryogenic chamber, and they asked Grover to take a look at it, to keep it on the DL. So he's getting up there, he's about to hit his first shot. It looks like a beautiful course. Got a nice view of the volcano, mountain, I don't know. All the palm trees. He's getting so excited. And then the security person, Zev, from the the golf club, or the whole That's... thing, came and was like, we need your help with something. Also, don't tell anyone. We just want you to do it. Please don't. That, that's my dude. Zev? The security guard. So he's from a different – he's from Snowfall. Um, oh. He plays like one of the – like a big drug dealer. Oh. Highly recommend watching Snowfall if y'all haven't seen it. Highly recommend it. Okay. But yeah. But his name is Avi in uh, Snowfall. But he's a cool dude. I like his I – like, I like him as a character. Yeah. Keep going on. So – so they went in. Okay. Also, how fancy is a golf course that it has a cryogenic chamber? Also, what does that do for you? Why? Why? I don't know. I feel like that's only for like the old ass people who, well, who are like seventy. They gotta old. recover. Mm, maybe he thinks it does for some form. But also, I wonder if they just shoved him in there. Like if he wasn't in there. No, they said he died by it. We'll talk about it. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know what that's supposed to do for you. Also, I've never seen a golf course have one of those. It's supposed to be good for your muscles, but I don't really understand how cryotherapy works. I would never survive. Too too sensitive. You know what's weird? Y'all remember Maximus Nutrition? They have one in there. For it to be like a little kind of small rinky-dink nutrition store, they have a a cryotherapy thing in there. That's sketchy. I feel like I'd get in there and accidentally get stuck, and then yeah. Apparently, a lot of people use it. I don't. Interesting. Okay, so apparently there's some side story going on with a cartel lady, and they're trying to get Adam. Okay, so this is when. What does it cut to? It cuts to Steve and Danny sitting in the principal's office, and Danny's asking Steve something about some cartel woman that was found dead and then he was like adam's kind of on it but he like looked concerned so something's going on so adam in the earlier season adam's dad was this is the dude that was in tokyo the whole episode his dad was the head of the yakuza and which was like the japanese cartel type thing in hawaii and his dad was the head and then there was adam and, like, Adam's dad and Steve were, like, mortal enemies for, like, the first two seasons. And, like, Adam's dad and Steve's dad were also mortal enemies. Uh, so, then, I guess, I can't remember, but I guess Steve took down his dad or something. So, Adam was set to take it over. But then Adam fell in love with Kono, who wasn't on this episode. So, at some point, she left. So, I don't know if they're still married or not or what happened there. But Kono was on the other episode we watched, and she was a cop, and they fell in love, and then he was on this straight and narrow path of, I want to be a good businessman. But from what I'm understanding that in this episode is that at some point he became a cop, don't know what happened to Kono, and now he's in Japan, in Tokyo, trying to get his spot back. 
that was his in the first place? Yeah, I'm not even gonna pretend like I kept up with all everything you just said. Yeah, I didn't really pay attention to that. I just paid attention to the main. But honestly, all that Japan stuff that was going on made me want to watch Hawaii Five O just because I want to know what's happening. Yeah, I want to go to Tokyo too, man. I said the two places I want to go: Hawaii and Tokyo, man. Um, those two guys are they together? <laughs> that's funny. Why you okay? So that's funny that you ask because Danny and Steve are not together, but they've been like caught partners since the beginning of the series, and they're everyone makes a joke that it's like, oh, are y'all dating? Because Steve, the tall one, gets on Danny's nerves. Danny's from Jersey, and he he doesn't get the whole like and steve's from the military so their personalities clash and they like just fight the whole time but low-key they like are besties but like danny gets annoyed by steve the whole time so when they're out in public everyone's like are y'all together that joke has been made so many times on the show they're not together they're just for a while i thought steve was married steve got married at some point this whole i mean I haven't kept up with the past few seasons, but Steve had her his little marine girly that they were super cute with, but I don't know what happened to her. Um, so, with that being said, another side story we have going on is about Danny's son being bullied. Here's the background on Danny's son. Danny moved to Hawaii because his ex-wife moved to Hawaii with his daughter, and I think it was because she was like, seen this other man or something and they moved anyway so he had to move so he could have custody and be with his daughter but i'm guessing at some point his ex-wife got divorced again from that other guy because him and her hooked up again and then had a son but they never got married i'm pretty sure is what happened all of there so same both kids have the same two parents but only the daughter they had when they were married a lot of background information in this episode. Yeah. So, yeah, Danny's son's being bullied, so they got called to the parents' office. Another side story we have is about this girl who I don't know. She works for Five O. I've never seen her before. What was her name? Tawny? Yeah. Tawny and some other guy that I don't know, but I guess is also in Five O. And she gets the voicemail, and he's like, I have to, like, I got I got deployed or something. I don't know when I'll be back. I'll try to talk to you as much as I can, but probably can't. I had a good time. I hope we can pick things up where we left off. And immediately, I'm like, man, so there's something going on here, but it's, like, not official official, because you don't say that to, your, like, your girlfriend or anything. Like, we should pick up where we left her. off. And you definitely say, I love you, like, in a message like that, you would have said, I love you. I can't wait to be back. He didn't say that. So I was like, oh, this is fresh, fresh. He ghosted her. It sucks if someone he's calls probably, you from the military probably, and you missed the call. He's probably still on the island on the opposite side. He ghosted her. But even Steve at the end was like, did you hear about Junior? That was his name. <laughs> he's in good hands. It's a cover up. Everyone's covering for him. That one yeah. date might have must have been bad. It's not even that deep of a relationship. She did she something just, freaky to him. 
He, he just said we'll pick she up where looks, we left off. She probably threw everything what she wanted. She was probably, I want this, I want that. So, whoa, hey, yo. It's just a coffee date. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> so then we find out, we go cut back to our main story. The, the actual murder. And we find out the victim is 44-year-old Chuck. Didn't catch his last name, but his first name is Chuck. It's like Taos, T-S-A-O. Chuck Tao. Chuck Tao. Tao, yeah. Okay. And he was... sorry. Tao. Chuck (laughs) Tao. And he was purposefully trapped in a cryo chamber and blasted at max coldness of negative 200 and froze to death. (laughs) And that seems like the absolute worst way to die. What did that might be worse than name? drowning? What, what's the governor? Uh, what's the captain's name again? Grover. Glover. Grover was like, Grover. dang, negative two hundred. He said, "That's cold." I said, "Ah, uh, I see what he tried to do there." I don't. That's cold. You, you didn't get it. That's negative two hundred. And he goes, "It was negative two hundred in that chamber." Yeah, and that's cold. Yeah, that's cold. Like, it's cold. Like, he froze to death. That's cold. Like, that's terrible. Oh! Oh, my goodness. I thought he was just being like, oh, man, that's cold. But I get what he... I get it was a play on words. Like, that's cold to do that to someone. I get the part. I like all the, like, dramatic close-ups in this show, too. Especially (laughs) Clever. Grover! His name is Grover. Grover. There's Glover, no Glover, Glover, Captain, you know what we mean. Do you think their cryogenber really goes to negative 200 too? I was like, I doubt that thing even goes to 200. Um, I don't want to find out. There's no way I, it goes to negative 200. I, I, I don't believe it. I don't either. That's, they were just trying to up it to make it look real bad, right, in the show? Yeah, and honestly, I feel like if you're going to let someone go into something that cold, I'm pretty sure those things have to be, like, regulated. Like, people have to know when you're going in and when you're coming out. You can't just walk into them, you know? Yeah. Because you could obviously die. It's like tanning. People know when you go get in a tanning bed. Because you'll die in there if you don't come out after a certain amount of time. Well, yeah, they they set timers at the tanning beds. Yeah, there should have been. But I guess when someone bars the door and then blasts it. But where's the employees? Yeah, who's watching the timer? Uh, I don't. Who's, I don't know. Who's sue, sue that. They should sue that place. Yep. So we are back to the side story number one. So then we jump back over to Tokyo, and apparently at some point Adam became a cop, and now he's trying to get back into this cartel life by going all the way to the top in Tokyo. He went up to that lady at the strip, the nightclub, the gentleman's club. I'm sure it is, and. He was like, listen, I want to talk to the big boys. And she was like, yeah, they don't talk to cops. And he's like, I'm not a cop anymore, baby. I'm a, I'm on the, I'm a bad boy. And she said, okay, I'll try my best. Is that, is that how is you that, said it, Ken? Is that what he said? I, I don't, I don't remember him saying that, Ken. That's exactly word for word what happened in mm-hmm. that scene. Oh, I, I guess I wasn't paying attention. Must have missed that part because I forgot to cringe when it happened. So now the theory is that Chuck died because he was cheating at golf. You can't have that. 
And now we go back to side story number two. Hawaii Five-O really jumps around in these side stories. Nope. So side story number two. Danny and Steve, they pull over the bully's dad, which I will go on record to say, I feel like that's an abuse of power. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, it is. I would have I would have called the cops. He was ready to whip this man's ass. So. Oh, yeah. I know. I was like, you can't just pull him over because his kid's being a bully. But also, his kid stole that other kid's switch, and I was like, that's an expensive thing to steal. Like, did you make him give it back? If you knew he stole it, did he give it back? And then also, what dad just believes that I lost it? Where did you lose it at? How do you lose a switch? Also, why is he taking his switch to school? That was also true. That's my thing. Like, if you lost it at school, either someone took it or the teacher has it. It doesn't just go missing at school. It'd be different. Like, he was at the park or something and it went missing. You don't lose things at school. Someone has it. But the principal knew he stole it, so I was like, did you not make him give it back? (laughs) Like, she was like, he stole the Switch, and Danny's like, I thought he lost it. And I was like, so you knew he stole it, (laughs) and you didn't make him give it back? You just let him take that thing home with him? And you're like, well, he stole it. It's gone. Teachers suck. Like, yeah, that parent. Well, same thing for the parent. They come home one day, and their kid has a Switch. Like, oh, where did you get that? Where did you get a Switch? Yeah, I never bought you a Switch. Well, his parents are getting a divorce, so that was, like, the whole thing. I probably talk, yeah, I'd talk about it later. That was just an excuse, man. Maybe, well, I'm just saying, like, maybe his he thought his wife bought the kid a Switch since they're divorced now. You don't know what the other parent's doing. Or if you're that kid and you're smart, you're saying, mom bought it for me. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, back to our main story. Our first suspect is Raul Diaz, who is also Ed Ramirez. And he was a pro in Arizona that apparently moved out to Hawaii and decided it was more lucrative to hustle people at golf and steal their money. It probably was. He was probably making bank. Oh, yeah. And he said that Chuck was an avid gambler. So we have a guy who has really likes to gamble, but apparently he always pays his debts at the end of the night in cash. 50000 So now they're wondering, where does a guy get $50,000 in cash to pay his gambling debts every night? Usually the thing's like, well, he's a gambler and he's in debt, but not this guy. He pays it off by the end of the night over a whiskey. So now they're like, well, what is he really into that he can do that? The country club is way too much an extra, but... Okay, so then they're, he, they did it over whiskey, so they're like, maybe there's clues at the whiskey bar. So they go, and Zev is like, hold up. You can only wear a jacket. Even if you're investigating a murder, you can only wear a jacket into this lounge. So then he gives them a member-only jacket. Grover takes his nice little nice. selfie for his wife. And they go in to this thing. And... They have a member's liquor locker? They have lockers for specific members to keep bottles? I want to know how much this this place is, like, per year. I know, that's since I've never seen, like, a nice, even a nice lounge have, like, well, this is this member's liquor locker. 
where they keep do they keep their own liquor what i don't i it blew right. my mind i wonder how much a membership is because some in here kids is there a what is that, is there like, an echo? Is that I, what you just I said? Just, I just asked that. Well, 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 sorry. Ah, <laughs> so, in Chuck's liquor locker, they find a box of cash. Just stuffed in cash. Chuck was laundering money from his high-volume cash flow businesses he he did all that high volume cash flow business type things. What was it? A used car lot? A used car laundry lot, lot? Laundry laundromat. Mat. I was like, and multiple pawn shops. Pawn shops. And much, yeah. So, you know, money, money going everywhere, flying. And he had a $120 million counterfeit ring. And honestly, I, I, this is where I got confused. So, he was a part of a $120 million counterfeit ring, but apparently Chuck was stealing... Okay, this is how I understood. Chuck was stealing from the counterfeiting ring, and they killed him? Yes. Okay. To pay his debts. He was stealing from the counterfeiting ring to pay his debts. To pay his gambling debts, yes. Okay. Because I got real confused real fast. I had to watch that part twice. Because it, okay. like, it, it happened, like, so fast, the way, that, I don't know, they flipped from one thing to another. Yeah, they called up Duke, and Duke was like, we have, like, about $120 million, and it's all fake. And then Grover's like, okay, here's what I'm thinking. And he lays it all out, and they're like, okay. And I was like, wait a second, I'm confused. I have a couple of questions for Captain Grover. Turns out he doesn't just answer back to me. Yeah, it got a little confusing. Plus, they saw, I was going to mention this later. They solved this case really fast. It's definitely within like eight hours because it's all on the same day. Oh, yeah. They, they had to work discreetly big... because you can't have your high class members knowing that another member died there. So then Tawny, they're like talking to Tawny and she's like, well, I got in touch with the Secret Service and they were saying that this or that about like the counterfeit ring. And she was talking about how the money was being counterfeited in North Korea, shipped out through China, and it's in, like, several parts of the U.S. Okay. Which is all great and good. Like, yada yada. This sounds like a big deal. The Secret Service. Like, the people that protect the president. Also investigate counterfeit? I guess so. Does that make sense to y'all? No, I have to brush no. up on my it's Secret fine. Service responsibilities. I don't know. I, I just thought I they were in charge of the president. I know. I heard her say that. I was like, "Well, why did you call the president's guys to talk about counter? Like, what did you not call like I don't know the nerds or something? The Pentagon? Maybe the president <laughs> told them to call her. See what they got? We're okay, actually going to we'll... talk about this in our actual story, but I thought that was real weird. That she was like, call the Secret Service. They said the president's doing good. <laughs> okay, so now they have a new suspect. Michael Mayfield. Who they think is Chuck's business partner. And actually, 
Grover was like, wait a second. So he's like, yeah, Chuck checked in this morning or whatever. Grover, they, he pulled up a picture. And Grover's like, I saw that guy. He was on the tee right before I was about to tee off before you told me someone died. Then we cut back to Adam, and he's being chased through the streets of Tokyo, and then he's kidnapped. And now we cut back to the golf course because they're like, hey, Michael hasn't finished his round of golf yet. Let's go get him very discreetly because the whole club, the whole thing was like they asked Grover because he was already there and they didn't want to make a scene because it's fancy pants and we can't let people know that people die at a fancy pants golf course. Mm -hmm. So then they're like, they get Michael to come to them. And Michael's like, what's up? Grover shows him his badge. And then Michael just takes off running. Where the hell is he going? No one knows. I said that when I was watching the episode to JC when I was in here. I was like, where do you run on a golf course? Uh, I said the exact same thing. I was like, why are you running on a golf course? But the real thing is how fast that, uh, what's his name, Sev? Sev. How fast he was. He was moving. He was booking it. Yeah, because Grover was like, well, I ain't, I'm not chasing him. <laughs> he hopped in a golf cart and was like, all right, let's. Yeah, it looked like Grover hasn't, uh, hasn't ran in a couple years. So then they chase him all around this golf course, which I feel like was unnecessary. At some point, Michael gets into the golf co- cart and now they're like bumper carting it down the golf course. And then, and then they get out and then Zev like fights him and and oh zev was like turn on the sprinklers immediately they're turned on i was like i don't think it happens you just got a guy yeah. sitting next to the sprinkler like, thing that's like <laughs> okay I, I was like what is sprinklers gonna do it did not wait. slow him down one bit yeah. and then they tackled and they were rolling around in the sand and i was like wait a second if he's really that wet he would be really muddy right now but he's not so this is all fake zev wins i don't know why he thought he could fight zev i was like you're a rich boy and zev is we're not really sure what his background is but it's definitely not someone you can mess with and he they he won zev won he was handcuffed and grover came out with his club and he's like look at this three iron's Iron, there's dents in it. I bet there's dents to where you bar the cryo chambers shut. That's the same amount length or whatever. And he just has, Grover has his hands all over this thing. I was like, dude, come on, man. You're contaminating the murder weapon. Yeah, I was like, I thought you can do that. Why are you touching on stuff? If I was that guy's lawyer, I'd be like, I bet Grover did it. He was at the golf course. His fingerprints are on the murder weapon. Well, I think they kind of knew when they had their suspect when uh, he took off running. Well, I all I'm saying is that if I was that guy's defense attorney, I would be like, well, my client was running because he watched Captain Grover kill that other dude. And his fingerprints are on the murder weapon, so explain that. And then I'd win. <laughs> so, side story number two ends with everyone being friends. Meaning, the lesson learned here is... Hug it out when someone bullies you. When someone bullies you, it probably means that they're going through a hard time. So your parents and their parents need to become best friends so that y'all become best friends. I'm not telling that kid, my kid, that. If someone bullies you, I'm telling them, go to the school next day and punch them straight in the nose. And then yeah, go from I'm there. Telling them, I'm telling them, look, first tell the teacher. 
they do nothing, you have all my permission to whoop some ass. All I'm saying is that you're watching these kids, like, run around. Danny and this other guy are having a heart-to-heart about, like, yeah, we've both gone through divorces. Let's be best friends. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, but did you make your child give back the Switch? (laughs) (laughs) That's an expensive thing he stole. Did you give it... Did he give it back? Like, you didn't give your kid's kid an ass whooping he probably didn't make him give it back he probably said my wife got him that you <laughs> can keep it my kid said his, my mom bought it mm-hmm. it's her money fuck her keep the switch now, <laughs> now it's a powwow of talking about emotions because now tawny comes over and she's like i need human interaction because i've been at work alone all day and then McGarrett's like, hey, did you hear from, like, Junior? And then they have this, like, heart to art that feels weird because it's, like, everyone knows there's something going on. But no, it's that awkward stage of, yeah, there's something, but there's nothing and and all of that. So now it's just a powwow of emotions. And then we go back to side story number one. And Adam is talk. Adam is ratted on Kenji. Not who- sure who Kenji is. So... He can be a high up in the... I'm guessing the... We're still talking about the Yakuza. Which he can do if he's an inside man. So the, then the higher up's like, alright, you can have your birthright. You can be in charge. Here's the thing. We need you to keep that badge. And we need you to essentially be an inside man. A mole. A rat. For five zero. And he was like, no. Because then if I go back, Kenji will hurt me. And the guy was like, no, he won't. You'll be fine. Because if he bullies you, all you have to do is make sure that your parents become best friends and hug it out. I was about to say, I was like, uh, did he really say that? And Adam was like, okay, I'll see if my dad wants to hang out with his dad. Was his dad also a leader of the Yakuza? Same. They can bond over that. JC. <laughs> like, you're not muted, bro. <laughs> Wrong one. Are you ready to hear about the story that shares some similarities with this episode of Hawaii Five-O? Yes. I am going to tell you the story of America's best yet worst counterfeiter. I'm Rick. Hootner. In November of 1938, the Secret Service received a counterfeit $1 bill. But not any counterfeit $1 bill. The worst counterfeit they had ever seen. The Secret Service had been at this thing for a while now. Ever since 1876, when one-third of the American currency was counterfeit, so the Treasury Department created the Secret Service to crack down. So that was the initial ad, in, the initial in, attention that, what am I doing? Intent? Yes, the initial <laughs> intent of the Secret Service was to crack down on counterfeit and to work for the Treasury Department. Only after President McKinley was assassinated in 1901 did the Secret Service's responsibility extend to protecting the President. Here's what I have to say about this. So you have the Secret Service people. They know it's your counterfeit people. They do, like, the forensic accounting and shit. 
so the president your like third president gets assassinated and now it's like okay maybe we need some security for the president everyone's sitting around a table and going who would provide like who should we get to provide the president you know security and and then someone throws out the like money people like hey let's get the counterfeiting people to protect the president too those two things don't make sense to me. Those two things seem like very different responsibilities and skill set. I don't know. Maybe back then they, they go together. I don't know. But it doesn't yeah, sound like it. It tense. sounds like, okay, we have the counterfeit people. Our president needs security. Let's just ask the counterfeit people if they also want to protect the president. To me, it sounds like you should have like, asked the military or something. Like, get some Navy SEALs. Yeah. The military is corrupted. Or maybe you should have got, like, a different group of, like, very strong protective men. It just doesn't make sense that, like, oh, your responsibility is counterfeiting? Let's extend those responsibilities to putting your life on the line for the president. Wait, what year is this again? 19... They started in 1865. McKinley died in 1901. I don't know. Maybe they had to be big dudes, man. Protecting the money. <laughs> they were probably like really thick, heavy money too, right? Because it's, it's like 1900s. Exactly. Okay, maybe. I don't so know. There's probably some dudes walking around in there. So let's get these guys. Yeah, maybe. The logic just was not logicing for me of like, let's, because to me it's like, let's get the nerds that do the money thing and have them protect the president. And they were like, huh? Us? Protect the president? We're just accountants. Anyways, let's keep going. Okay, so the Secret Service have seen their fair share of counterfeits, but never had they seen one produced on such cheap bond paper that you could find at any store. Or one where the serial numbers are crooked and are hard to read. And the portrait of Washington hardly resembled Washington at all. Instead of <laughs> eyes, it was just black dots. It was a black guy. <laughs> <laughs> but if there was any doubt left in the Secret Service's mind that this was a counterfeit, left. If there, I don't know why I put left twice. So if there was any doubt left was in their mind that this was not a counterfeit, it was gone when they saw that Washington was misspelled. Oh my goodness. So instead of saying W-A-S-H-I-N-G-T-O-N, it was W-A-H-S. They flipped the S and the H. Washington? Yes. This $1 bill baffled the Secret Service. First, Counterfeiters were notorious for seeing their work as a piece of art, and therefore took great pride in their work. Second, never had they seen someone counterfeit such a low denomination. No one ever wasted their time counterfeiting $1 bills. It was all the big bugs. Why was this a, was this a joke? Was someone mocking the Secret Service? What what was going on? 
By the end of November, the Secret Service had collected 40 more of these $1 bills. By mid-1939, 585. Despite being such a small amount of money, the mastermind seemed... I lost my spot one minute. Mastermind seemed hard to catch. They never used the fake bill in the same place twice. And it seemed they were only spending $15 a week of the fake money. So the time has came, so the time has come for our inflation money game. $1 in 1938 adjusted for inflation. Uh, you asking? Yes. For a guess? Yes. Or like the actual? Mm -hmm. um, it inflated to uh, $2.38. Okay. Malik? Mm, 20 bucks. Yeah, twenty one sixty eight, twenty one dollars and sixty eight cents. So, that's how much one dollar was in nineteen thirty eight, which is about. So he was spending fifteen dollars a week. So that was about three hundred and twenty five dollars a week in fake money. It's kind of a lot. This these articles made it sound like it was just a one dollar bill, and it is. But it, I mean, it's still that's like, a lot of cans of pop. Yeah. But I guess when you're talking about counterfeiting, usually it's like people moving like thousands, tens of thousands, a lot of fake money. So I guess that is kind of like a low denomination for counterfeit. Mm -hmm. They determined that unlike most counterfeiters, this one was not motivated by greed, but by survival in an economy rocked by the Great Depression. So we are back in the Great Depression times. Woo! Is that a woo? Woo! <laughs> the Secret Service dubbed this mysterious counterfeiter Mr. Okay. How would you say? There's two ways I could imagine people pronouncing this. Mr. 880 or Mr. 880. 880. I feel like Mr. 880 would, sounds better. I, I do too. I would, I, I'm lazy, so I'll go 880. Yeah. Okay, so they dubbed him Mr. 880 after his case file number. So probably 880, right? Yeah. And started handing out warning plaques to over 10,000 businesses in New York of this funny money. <laughs> but this was futile. It would be 10 years until the Secret Service caught Mr. 880. And it wasn't because of the warning plaques. In January of 1948, firefighters were called to an apartment fire. But when they arrived, they found the apartment filled with junk. So they started throwing it out the window. And not having bothered to clean up the junk after the fire, some neighborhood boys stumbled upon, upon this pile of junk. In it, they found $31 bills. But they immediately knew that they were, they were fake. And they found a $1 bill template. 
Little did the boys know they had stumbled upon Mr. 880's operation until one of the boys' dad found them playing poker with the $1 bills and turned the money over to the police along with the information of where the boys found it. Boo. Boo. That dad's a snitch. If I was that dad, I'm like, oh, where's, where's my printer? Where's, yeah. where's my printer? <laughs> I said, show me the No, because he looked at it and he said, this is so bad. Well, I wouldn't reprint this. I'd get caught. Or I guess give it a little test drive at the local store. If it works, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, let me go print some more off. Honey, we ain't got to buy groceries no more. Either that or I'm telling the police, hey, look, for about 100 bucks, man, I'll tell you where to find it. Yeah, maybe there would either way award money. Either way, I'm getting some money from somewhere. Maybe. I mean, this guy, Mr. A80, did get away with it for 10 years. Can you... A hundred dollar or one dollar bill counterfeits that were so bad and they couldn't catch them for 10 years. That means they suck. Yeah. And I feel like it's because people didn't like, you know, when you go to the store, if you ever Check get like a hundred, they swipe it like with a yeah. little marker. But they don't do that for like one dollar bills. Well, also, they didn't them. have that marker back in the day. Uh huh. Is that a fun version. fact? I Do would you know assume, when the market came about? No, I, I don't. You know, I don't know, but I would assume that in the 1930s they didn't have the marker. But you can, you can I fact check when, me if you want. I hate when you have like those couple like cash uh, cashier people who hold your dollars like to the sky. Like, bro, I mean, come on now, I'm buying some snacks. Like, <laughs> just take my money and go. <laughs> like, man, if I was counterfeiting, like, I'd buy something way better than this. That's what I'm saying, bro. Just, just take my $5 bill and <laughs> move on with our day. And I think that's part of the reason that they never were able – or they didn't catch Mr. 880 for so long is because I feel like it's so much easier to count, catch the counterfeiters when they're spending the big bucks and they're spending it on, you know, extrav- more extravagant things. Because you can kind of – that, like, mm-hmm. narrows down your pool so, like, so far. Of like who has these extravagant things? Who's coming into these stores? But when it's literally just a one dollar bill that they never use at the same place, it could be anyone, especially just in regular stores in New York City. He's he's blended in with the common people. I know, and he—I mean, he is a common person. So, I, I the simplicity of it. It seems so simple and should be easy Ooh. to catch, but I think the simplicity of it made it hard to catch him. Big, big SAT word. Simplicity? I'm, I've never used it. <laughs> you have a definition for that word? No, nah, you don't need a definition for that it's word, man. Simple. <laughs> it's just another. So, why don't you just say, so why use a dime? If a penny will work fine. Because oh that's not God. the right form of simple to use in that situation. If it means simple, why does it matter? Simple, simple. Because that's the wrong form of the word to use in the sentence. You can't use... I don't give a fuck, Keisha. Just use simple. <laughs> okay, so if I say the phrase, the simple of it is what caught him. You could rearrange around the rearrange the sentence, or it could just say simplicity. Oh, well, some people don't know that word. It's the same word. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Okay. Oh man. Simplicity. I'm gonna just gonna keep the word there. Some simplicity. Okay. So yes, I think that the simplicity of the operation is what made it hard to catch this guy for so long. So the dad turned in the one dollar bills and they're like he was like, Hey, this is where the boys find it. You might want to check it out. So the Secret Service tracks down the apartment and the owner and then Boom! They kick in the door and they're like, put your hands up, Mr. 880! And in it. Why do you have that little. Why do you have that little cunt she's saying, sit down, boy! Get down! That's what she sounded like. <laughs> because that's how everyone talked in the 1930s. Damn! And in. So they're waving their. Put your hands up! Because they think they just busted this big counterfeiting ring. But really, what they found was 73-year-old Imerick Kutner. When the investigators asked Imerick how long he's been making the bills, he replied, Oh, nine or ten years. A long time. Investigators were stunned that he openly admitted to it. To this, he said, Of course I admit it. They were only $1 bills. I never gave more than one of them to any one person, so nobody ever lost more than a dollar. Which, if you think about it that way, it really doesn't seem that bad. Mm -mm. The, the evidence matched the confession in Imerick's apartment. They found a printing press, ink, photo negatives, and more counterfeit $1 bills. Imerick was caught green-handed. <laughs> You've been waiting on that one, huh? I was so excited when I wrote that. <laughs> Could have had a better delivery. Yeah. Sorry, I'll work on the delivery part next time. But who is Imrich Kutner, Mr. 880? Imrich was born in Austria in January of 1876. At the age of 14 in 1890, the family immigrated to America. He started working as a picture frame gilder by day and an inventor by night okay what do we think a picture frame gilder is picture frame gilder yeah is he like the person who puts the designs on the outside of the on like the frames that's kind of what i thought because right back then they had real fancy frames because mm -hmm. i assume because there's a picture frame like person i forgot what the name of that's called but i'm assuming the gilder is like the design frames? thing hey rod look up what a picture frame gilder is Alright, give me a say. <laughs> Picture frame. How you spell Gilder? G I L D E R. <laughs> Look, it's Sunday. Football's going on. I'm missing it. Right. How oh, many beers man. did you have? Yesterday I had a... No, uh, today. No, yesterday's beers don't matter. No, I haven't drank any. But I've been... I was sleeping till like noon. Oh my god. I miss... I miss Bill Frame. F-R-A-M-E. I know how to spell it. <laughs> oh, my belly. <laughs> oh, nothing comes up on a gilder. There's a holder, but not a gilder. He just holds the picture frames? 
I assume it's someone that makes picture frames or designs picture frames. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Like, just the different designs on them. Okay. So he was doing that. And he was kind of doing a little tinkering at night, a little inventing. He was kind of interested in that, that kind of stuff. But he gave up the inventing after he got married in 1902 and had two kids by 1918. He got a job as a maintenance man at an Upper West Side apartment complex, which also allowed his family to live there rent-free. The family was happy and things were quiet until tragedy struck. Eimerick's wife unexpectedly passed away in 1937. Eimerick was 61 years old, too old to work in maintenance, and alone, suffering from the Great Depression. He spent his days collecting junk on the streets of New York to resell, which is why he had a lot of junk in his apartment. But this didn't do much to bring financial gain to Eimerick. He thought of what skills he had and what he could do with them. That's when he got an idea. He learned some, some, a little about metal engraving in Austria and dabbled a little in photography in his eventing days. The plan was simple. He took a photo of a $1 bill, transferred the photo to zinc plates using an acid bath, then filled in details by hand on the fake bill, which I'm sure why that's just little dots for Washington's eyes. And so Eimerick started his own counterfeiting operation. By the downfall of this operation, his counterfeit bills made up 5% of all counterfeit currency in America at the time. For a grand total of around $7,000 in 1948. So adjusted for inflation, what do y'all got? 7000 in 1948? Yes. I'll say about $25,000. Mmm. 140,000. 88,789.92. What am I doing? Stupid guess. That was high. That was real high. I, I gotta get better. So it was around like $88,000. 5% of all counterfeit currency. On September 3rd, 1948, Imrick faced three charges in court. Possession of counterfeit plates, passage of counterfeit bills, and manufacturing of counterfeit bills. Each carried a possible 10-year sentence, so Imerick was facing 30 years in prison. But Imerick was such a likable and friendly guy, plus his old age had all factored into the judge, only sentencing Imerick to... What do you think he was sentenced to? One year. Since old age? Nah, I think about at least five. One year and one day in prison. And there's a mandatory fine. What do you think they made him pay for his mandatory fine? 50,000. 880. One dollar. So he had to pay one year and one day in prison with a one dollar fine. I'm thinking this judged like a good irony. Like a little ironic moment. Mm-hmm. With this one year and one day sentence, he could become 
eligible for parole after only four months. This story turned international after a New Yorker after New Yorker reporter St. Clair McElway covered it in a three-part series. This allowed Imerick to sell the rights to a movie based on his story. The movie was released in 1950 and it's called Mr. 880. Imerick made more money off of the movie than actual counterfeiting. On the other hand, the hunt for Mr. 880 was the most extensive and expensive counterfeiting investigation in American history. So think about it. Imerick was just, what, $1 counterfeiting $1 bills? And it was more expensive mm-hmm. for the United States government to track him down than it was his operation. Wouldn't at that point you would just be like, listen, we're losing more money than we're going to make from capturing him, so let's just give it up? Just let them be. It's like letting small-time tax evaders be. So that is the story of America's best yet worst counterfeiter ever. I'm Rick Eutner. Isn't that... What do y'all think? Seemed like a man with the plan. He figured if he stays small time, no one would mess with him. I don't even think he was, like, thinking that. I think he literally was just, hey, I can make these $1 bills. I'll just give one. Because he didn't even think about it in the way of, I'll only use it in one place at one time because that way the FBI can't get me. He was thinking more of that way I only am ripping $1 off from everyone. He wasn't even trying to get away with it. He was just just trying to survive i mean it really was what the f what the secret service profiled is it was this was not someone about greed but someone just trying to survive mm-hmm. once again the government wastes thousands of people's money for, to stop some stupid crime that he ended up making so much money off of anyways because of the movie mm-hmm. yeah so they basically ended up helping him in the end make more money. And they just lost so much money. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the government for us, man. What a system. I I find this as kind of like a cute little story. One cuz it no one was really harmed. Yes, these businesses were were like what am I trying to say? ripped off, but like, like Imerick said, it was only $1 at every store. That's why he only used it at once, because he didn't want to rip off the stores more than that. That's so sweet. But if you think about it, just doing... Because it doesn't seem like it would make that much of a difference if you're just ripping off $1. But, it, what, he saved $7,000? $88,000 in our day? That's a lot of money you're saving. Just enough to put the kids yeah. through school. Was he married? Did now. you say that? He was married. He had two kids. And I guess at some point he was asked, why didn't you just ask your kids for help if you needed money help? And he he just didn't want to bother them with it. Which, I'm. it was also the Great Depression, so I'm sure they were filling it. It's not like they probably had money to spare. Yeah. This little man wasn't trying at all. And he invaded the police. 
in the government for 10 years without even trying. Yeah. I think those are the funniest stories. Like, I, I'm sure the movie's kind of funny because you just have the FBI or the Secret Service, these big government people, trying so hard, thinking this guy's a mastermind. And then you have little Imerick who's just going about his business, per the use, not even trying. The simplicity. Yeah. yeah. Simple. <laughs> All right. Similarities and differences. Yeah. Um, Well, no one got frozen in the real story. (laughs) No one got frozen. Yeah. This is true. No one. Well, Imerick's wife sadly passed away, but she was not frozen today. Also, RIP to her. You know, 7,000 is kind of different than, you know, how much? Like 21 million? 120 million. 120 million. Oh, yeah. Yes. See, that's kind of a difference. Granite, it's 88,000 in our day. Still, thousands to millions. Can you imagine today that if every time we went and bought something, we, f- we counterfeited $1 off of that, we would have saved in the last 10 years around 88,000? I never thought I even like touched that amount of money. But, no, I mean, no. I think we should. I think we should try it for a case study. Yeah, let's let's try it. Let's. I'll print some money, yeah. out. or Ken's. You print the money out. You give it to me, and then I'll use it. Oh, because you want me to have the heavier charges. Basically. Yeah. No, uh, no, 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 no. You're you're the host of the podcast. So I think you should take the most responsibility. Nah, which is I'm gonna tell you the truth. Those, I just want you to have heavier charges. I can play stupid. Oh, <laughs> oh. We need to get Carson to do it because, as he said last nah, week on the podcast, to he's <laughs> Carson. Carson said he's the businessman. Did y'all hear the part where Carson wanted to steal our podcast from us? I haven't watched it yet. Hey, tell him, tell him for ten bucks each. Carson will be our our business guy, so he can make the fake money. Gotta be careful. Government might be by our doors in a couple minutes. (laughs) Now they listening. Yeah, they love this podcast. (laughs) No, not even that. You know they be listening on your phones, man. They got us tapped every day, twenty four seven. Thing happened to me the other day again, where I was talking about something. Just something completely random, and then I go to my TikTok, and it's the first thing to pop up. Yep. First fucking Government, thing. man. It be listening. It be listening. Have you ever had that happen, Kens? Yes. Okay, actually, what we're recording on now, it's called Pod no. Podcastle. And the very next day, all I get are advertisements on Instagram for Podcastle. No, and Car- we gotta go back and to Carson got the same thing. So y'all will too. We gotta go back to No, teams. this is so we much better. No, because if no, we go back to teams, the government, then Malik is in the charge of that part. Listening. And- the government's listening, kids. I can't do it. Oh, no. I got, I got warrants. <laughs> you don't have any warrants. <laughs> Aaron, you're not a bad boy wait. like Adam was in the TV show. No. But you know who's a bad boy? The next criminal in the next episode we're watching. What is it, Ken? <laughs> Do y'all want to take a guess? Um, 
This time, it's definitely SVU. Okay, A Rod. Don't tell me he's don't tell me he's criminal intent. CSI, the OG CSI, just CSI. We haven't seen it before. Didn't we already watch? CSI no, we last watched week? CSI Miami, and that was a while ago. We oh. watched that episode released on August sixteenth. That's a whole month ago. But now we're watching the OG CSI, not to be confused with CSI Miami or any of the other spinoffs. OG. We're watching CSI Season 4, Episode 11, 11 Angry Jurors. Which I think is a play on words of, isn't there a famous movie called 11 Angry Men? 12 Angry Men? 12 Angry Men. Yes. It's a good movie, too. So let's watch the movie and the TV show. The movie has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about, probably. I don't know what we're going to talk about because I haven't watched the episode yet. But we should just watch both because play uh, on words. You giving us more homework? I should have watched the one episode. It's literally a 43-minute episode. I don't understand why this is so hard every week. Hey, I just hey, watched this past episode people. before. Yeah. Y'all should go hey. look at my caption for next week, or for this this episode. I made it today. Go look at the caption I made today for this episode that's coming out on Wednesday, which is this episode we just recorded. Um, because um, it, it says football is back, but don't worry, because this week's episode is only 43 minutes long, so you can squeeze it in between games. Alrighty. So, CSI, Season 4, Episode 11, 11 Angry Jurors. And with that, I'm your host, Kinsey Huseman. This is Crime on Primetime, and we are signing out. See ya. Deuces.